Well, good morning, Journey. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning as we gather together to worship. I know I don't know about you, but uh, we had a, a great weekend this past weekend at the county fair, uh, the worship service on Sunday morning. Uh, it was a great experience gathering together with Calvary Bible Church. Uh, great crowd. It was a little on the warm side, um, but um, it was really good to, to worship outdoors and just be a part of that. And yes, Dory and I did celebrate our anniversary at the Demolition Derby. Uh, that, that will go down in history, you know. Nothing says love like smashing cars together and mud and noise. So it, uh, it was a f- fun weekend. But today we are back into our series called The Supreme Life as we've been working through the book of Colossians. And, and today we come to um, another section of chapter 3. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, chapter 3 is where... Um, the author, the Apostle Paul, m- makes a shift from kind of doctrine and talking about, um, you know, who Jesus is to really focusing on how that impacts our life. And we'll see that in a very real way in, in our passage today, specifically as we look at the family. Now, I just want to put this out there at the beginning, that the temptation today as we look at these verses is just to hear what we want to hear and tune out the rest. Or the temptation might, might be just to push back so much that, that we don't want to uh, respond to Scripture. We don't want to step into it and say, yes, that applies to me today. So I, I pray that you will allow these Scriptures to speak to you, to your family situation, and where you are at. So this is applicable whether you are married or single, whether you are a parent or not. So together, let's focus on God's Word and learn, learn some lessons about family life. Because here in our section today, Colossians describes a family life transformed by Jesus. So we pick up in verse 18 of Colossians 3 through, through verse 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. To put it simply, Jesus changes our home life. Jesus is not only supreme in the universe, he's he's not only sufficient for our salvation, but he's supreme in our everyday family life as well. In the ordinary life that takes place in the living room, in the garage, in the kitchen, Jesus is supreme over all. So this morning I want to give give you some pro, pro tips for making the home a godly place. And I pray, again, that that you are able to receive all of these aspects, whether you're a wife, a husband, or a father or not. So the first pro tip that Paul gives us is focus on the wives. And it says, wives have a submissive spirit. Now, I realize this is not always a popular topic. And for a lot of pastors, we would rather have a root canal than talk about this subject, you know. But, but I'm committed to preaching through the entire, you know, Word of God. And sometimes you come to a passage like this where you realize that, oh, you know, it, this might rub against some people. But I want to I wanna honor the text, and we want to work through all of Colossians. So we, we come to this passage today. 
Well, to help, help us understand Colossians 3.18, there's a parallel passage in Ephesians 5 that, that brings a little light to it. So flipping back to Ephesians chapter 5, let, let, let me read how the same word submit is used there. Beginning in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now that word submit there, it, it does not imply inferiority or anything like that. It's not subjugation. It's not being a doormat that, that, that means your husband just walks over you and does whatever he pleases. But it, it is just a modest cooperative spirit that puts others first. It's about honoring others. And it's really, the meaning is about coming under the, the leadership of another person. Now, the ba basis of that is so important, which stands out in Ephesians 5.21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Where does this submission come from? Well, it comes out of a mutual submission of understanding of who Jesus is. It's about all of us coming under the leadership and lordship of Jesus. Because only when we do that does the rest of this become possible. Does the rest of this become a reality? Does the rest, only then can Jesus begin to really change the home life. Now, for, for you wives, you might have an outgoing personality. You, you might even like to take the lead on things at certain times. That, that's great. But you can still respect the leadership of your husband and not belittling him or, or put him down all the time. And that doesn't mean that there's just one-sided conversations either. There's dialogue, there's discussion. You know, there's been pl plenty of times where Dory and I have, have dialogued and discussed and, and you know, um, we, we've come to different conclusions than, than what, what I might have said out of the, at the beginning time. Now notice what Colossians 3.18 does not say. It do, does not say women be submissive to men for this pleases the Lord. It does not say that. It says wives be submissive to husbands. So really, if, if you're not married yet, that leaves you with a choice, doesn't it? You know, if, if you feel that you cannot submit to your future spouse, you know, if mutual submission in the, in the name of Jesus cannot be part of that future marriage, then it would be a good idea not to marry that person. I do want to acknowledge kind of the, the cultural atmosphere today. You know, it wasn't, you know, uh, a while back I learned this term that I hadn't heard before, you know, referring to our culture as being a woke culture, W-O-K-E. Now, woke was officially added as an adjective to the Oxford English Dictionary back in 2017. And as the dictionary defines it, originally it just means well-informed or up-to-date. But then now um, in our culture today, it means alert to racial or social discrimination and injustice. So woke culture means that you are aware of all this stuff going on and, and that you are against any oppression or injustice, both you know, regarding gender, regarding race, 
or reg regarding any social inequality. So in, in our culture today, it's perfectly okay to say, husbands, love your wives. But when we talk about wives, be submissive to your husband, we often get a different reaction. And the response I've heard sometimes is, well, well, that was written in Paul's culture, in Paul's time, back, and it's not applicable today. It's not relevant today in our woke culture, because to say that is oppressive to women. But you got to understand this, when, when Paul wrote this letter to this church in the city of Colossae, it was just as radical, just as transforming, just as, as culture-shaking uh, as it is today. Because he was redefining the home life then, just as Scripture is redefining home life now. And that message is just as relevant today as it was when Paul wrote it in those early years of the Christian church. But I think we can all acknowledge that, you know, submission, it's, it's never been easy, has it? Whether you're male or female, submission is something that's probably not our first response, not something that we just jump into and say, yes. But, but get this, if, if Christ is your Lord, if you call Jesus your Savior, then we never get any higher as a servant in the kingdom of God. So either husband or wife, male or female, our job is to be like Jesus. And when we do that, we, we look at Jesus as our model. And as we look at him, we see that he came to serve, to serve others. I, I love how Philippians chapter 2 puts it, and it describes this. Beginning in verse 5 of Philippians 2, it says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not Consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. You see what that first verse says, though? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So in your relationships, in your marriage, in your family, have the mindset that Jesus has. In other words, be a servant to one another. Come alongside each other to encourage, to strengthen, to, to uh, just support that person as, so that they can be as much as they can be in Jesus Christ. Now, but before I leave this point, focusing on wives, you know, I... I, I, I need to say that for some of you husbands, uh, some of you guys just need to step up and be the spiritual leader in your home. Sometimes husbands, you know, you've, you've taken the back seat for too long. You haven't fulfilled that role of being a spiritual leader. So I want to challenge you to do that today. And that leads us to the, the second radical and redefining call that's in this scripture. That first is submission, and the second is love. Because husbands, we are called to give sacrificial love. Back in Colossians 3, it just tells us, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So being, being the spiritual leader of your home, it, it doesn't begin with this position of authority. It begins with sacrificial love towards your spouse. 
And that means, you know, take the time to find out what your wife's love language is. You know, there, uh, th- there's a book called The Five Love Languages, which talks about the different ways that we can communicate and receive love to, to our spouses. And it might be like acts of service, it might be uh, physical touch, it might be words of encouragement, maybe it's quality time together or the giving or receiving of gifts. You know, find out what your wife's love language is. And if you don't know, I have a resource I'll give you. You can take a quiz and you can find out uh, what, what that love language is. Just email me, talk to me, I'll give you a free copy. And it's a great, great tool. So husbands... Learn to speak your, love, your wife's love language. And it says, never degrade, never be harsh with your wife. Because you know what? That biting tongue, that caustic words, sarcastic tongue can slice a marriage in two. You know, so, so sometimes when we pull like verse 18 out of context and we just stop at wives be submissive to husbands, we we miss so much of the context of this passage of Scripture because it includes both a husband and wife. And if if we look back at Ephesians chapter 5, we we see that a lot of it really falls on the husband because if we pick back up in Ephesians 5, verse 25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So what's it say? Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Man, Jesus loved the church unselfishly, and he loved the church sacrificially. So men, we are called to that kind of love, a love where we're constantly giving of ourselves, giving sacrificial love to our spouse. And you know, sacrificial love is not just a one-and-done thing. It's really a lifestyle that the Scripture is calling us to. It's a gradual yet dramatic giving of, of yourself day after day, year after year, of your marriage. And, and this is transformational. It's not transactional in, in the sense of, oh, okay, I did this, now, now you need to do that. Or I've been sacrificially loving you for the last three times, now you need to do this back to me. No, it's a lifestyle where you're constantly doing it over and over again. So, so what, what does that look like? You know, if, if your wife asks you to go shopping for clothes, you, you go shopping for clothes. You know, that means you, you help around the house a, as needed. It means you, you allow her to pick the restaurant from time to time. It'll, um, it, it means that you allow her to, to pick the movie on Netflix or Prime Video. And if she picks an emotional drama, you know, just get emotional during the, during the movie. Cry a little bit, you know, and just really, you know, it'll go a long way for you. So, so we, demonstrate, we demonstrate that love and sacrifice both privately and publicly. You know, communic- when you communicate that, it, it shows that she's important to you and you value her. But you know, it's servant leadership. It requires a lot more work than just being a dictator or kind of a tyranny type of leadership. 
It, it, it means that, that you learn to communicate. It means you learn, learn to listen. And you learn to make adjustments as needed. It means that you have to defer to each other from time to time. Because leadership isn't tyranny, it's, it's service. You know, um, back when I was in high school, my, my grandparents celebrated uh, 50 years of marriage. And they, they were active in their uh, local church um, back in Wisconsin, so they had a huge, huge, uh, like, blowout open house. Everybody gathered, and they had this golden anniversary celebration. And it was really neat because the community came out, the church people came out to celebrate 50 years of marriage. So after it was all said and done, we were back at the house, and I asked my grandpa, you know, Grandpa, what's, what's the secret of being married for 50 years? How, how did you do it? And he said, well, David, we, we made a decision early on that that grandma, if there were, grandma would always make the small decisions in our marriage. And when it came to big decisions, I would always make the big decisions. And, and the secret is, the reason we lasted so long is that in 50 years of marriage, there's never been any big decisions. <laughs> you know, husbands give sacrificial love. Wives have a submissive spirit. Well, there's two more re redefining calls uh, in, in our text today. And this next one deals with children. It says, children show faithful obedience. Back in, back in verse 20, it simply says, children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. You know, obedience simply means a readiness to hear but also carry out instructions. So, so you're listening, and, that, and the understanding then is you do more than listen. You actually do what's, what's commanded of you. So for all of you children here today sitting next to your parents, uh, you do this not only for them, but for God as well. See, obedience is not just pleasing your mom and dad. It's pleasing your God in heaven as well. You know, and also for you children here today, there's only one command in Scripture that's that's centered and geared towards you and you alone. And it's to obey your parents. And in the Old Testament, it's worded as honor your father and mother. Simple. You only have one to follow. Honor your father and mother. Obey your parents. Now, parents, let me encourage you to lay the groundwork for that kind of obedience in your home. And you do that by establishing clear boundaries you know, and then set appropriate consequences when, when those boundaries are crossed. Now, I, I still remember the day when, when, um, when our children were, were pretty young, pretty small. Dory and I were um, out, out uh, taking a walk with the kids. I think Josh was riding his little bike with, with training wheels, and Sarah was walking next to us. And, and, and we, we came up to a curb. And, and we told Sarah, you know, okay, uh, d d uh, don't cross over that line. You know, stay on the curb. Uh, st stay with us. So, so we get up there, up to the very edge. She's standing there. She looks up at us and then steps across the line. And we're just like, what just happened? And, and she was like four or something at the time. And that just kind of set the tone for, for Sarah growing up. She was always the one to kind of step over the line. It's like, okay, don't do this. And she would always go a little bit further. 
And our, our two kids were radically different, you know. J Josh never pushed the limit. Sarah was always pushing the limit, you know. And, and so we had to adjust our parenting, um, you know, consequences. We, we couldn't parent our kids the same way. Uh, our son Josh, you could just talk to him sternly, and man, he, that, that did it for him. You know, Sarah was a little different, you know. We had to, we had to adjust how, how we parented her. Or, to, uh, you know, so some parents do, do the counting game, you know, to, to get, get children to respond and obey. It's like, okay, don't do this. I'm going to count to three, you know, and they start counting. One, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, you know, two and fifteen sixteenths. It's a great way to teach your children how to count, but not necessarily how to enforce respect and obedience. So children, let me encourage you, if you're sitting here today, obey your parents. Obey your parents. And your parents are going, are you hearing him? Are you listening? So children, show faithful ob obedience. And fathers, the, the, the last redefining call the redefining aspect of this text today is for you fathers and is simply to model patient wisdom. The text puts it this way, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, there's a variety of ways that we can embitter or, or frustrate our children. Man, we do that through hypocrisy. You know, we say one thing and, and we do another. We do that through inconsistency in our lives or in, in the discipline that we set. We do that through too much leniency or, or being too strict. You know, I, I, I've, I've heard it said, and it's so true, that rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So focus on the relationship with your children first. Be careful with, with your tongues, Dad. Be, be careful with what, what you say to your children. And use your words to encourage and uplift rather than destroy or tear down. And part of being a father is saying, I'll put you first. I'll spend time with you. I still remember my, my dad when I was in elementary school. He, he'd come home from a, a long day working his admin job at the hospital. Um, and there's many times that, that he grabbed his baseball glove and we'd go across the street to the ball field and just just play catch you know just little things like that I, I still remember it left a lasting impression on my life and he had this old crusty ball glove that he had when when he was in high school he'd break it out and we'd just go play catch for 15 20 minutes N nothing you know large time commitment but just that simple act man i remember those days playing catch with my dad so how do you transform your children, dads? Well, here's a short list. One, you hug them, you hold them, you listen to them, you teach them the Bible, you talk with them, and you keep those lines of communication open. Gr growing up, we, we would um, have game nights at the Fremstad homestead with Josh or Sarah, we, we would get together. We tried to do it once a week where we would just sit down and, and let them pick a game. You know, it, it could be anything from Candyland to life to, you know, as they got older, the games got a little more complex. But, but those were great evenings. And, and if we went too long without having a game night, the, the kids would ask for it. 
and said, you know, hey, what, can we do something together tonight? And every time they had asked that, I would like, I'd have, it would catch me. And I'd be like, oh, you're right. We've gone a, a few weeks without having a family night together. And it just re- reminded me of how those impressions are made in our kids. You know, it might not seem like a big thing to you or, or it might seem like inconvenience or, you know, there was a show on TV that you wanted to watch or something that you wanted to read, but sometimes your kids, all they want to do is spend time with you. So dads, make that time to do it. But the most important thing that you can do, dads, is to model your faith to your children. Model Jesus to your children. You know, don't profess to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ and not model it in the home. So let let your children see you crack open scripture. Let your children see you pray together. Let let your children see how you model being a, a Christian dad, Christian parent, by praying together as a family. You know, model that to your children. There's a story about a young man who, who began his life with all of the classic and unfortunate handicaps and disadvantages. His, his mother was powerfully, this powerfully bit, built, domineering woman who found it difficult to love anyone, not only her husband, but her son as well. She was married three times, and the, the third husband, His father died at an early age, and as a consequence, his mom had to work long hours from his earliest childhood. And she gave him no affection, uh, no love, no discipline, no training in those early years, and she even forbade him to call her at work. And and other children began to, you know, make fun of him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. So he grew up really being alone most of his life. And he was just absolutely rejected everywhere, you know. When when he turned 13, a school psychologist commented that he probably didn't even know the meaning of the word love. And during adolescence, the girls rejected him. They wanted nothing to do with him, and he fought with all of the boys. Now, despite his high IQ, he failed academically. And he dropped out of high school his junior year, so he thought he would find acceptance in the military. So he, he, he joined the military, but his problems followed him there as well. Even there, he was ridiculed. So he did the one thing that he knew how to do, and just that was fight back. He resisted their authority, so ultimately he was court-martialed and thrown out of the military with a dishonorable discharge. So here he was, A young man in his early 20s, completely friendless and with no sense of worthiness. So once again, he he tried to run from his problems. So he went to live in a foreign country and and found a woman there that, that he married. But soon his wife began to develop that same contempt for him that everyone else displayed. And his marriage began to crumble. And finally, she forced him, him to leave, and he tried to make it on his own, but he was terribly lonely. So he, he came back and literally begged her to take him back. He had surrendered his pride, but she continued to belittle him and, and ridicule his feeble attempts to provide for the family. 
She ridiculed his failure. So finally, in silence, he pleaded no more. No one wanted him. No one ever did. So the next day after he, was, after he begged his wife to take him back and she just belittled him and ridiculed him, that next morning he awoke a strangely different man. He arose, he, he went out to the garage and he took down a rifle that he had hidden there. And he carried it with him to a newly acquired job that he got on the, on the third floor of a book storage building. And there from a window on the third floor of that building, shortly after noon on November 22nd, 1963, he sent two bullets crashing into the head of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Lee Harvey Oswald was a rejected, unlovable failure, and he killed the one man that more than anything else in, in that day, in that culture, uh, embodied success, wealth, you know, family affection and good looks, all of those things that he felt he lacked in life. Now, I, I don't know about your upbringings, what your family life was like as a child, and it might not be extreme, and I pray it was not as extreme as Oswald's experience, but you know what? Many people have grown up in less than ideal situations. You know, folks, if we are not intentional, the family experience can be a relational desert. It can be a re relational desert between husband and wife, between parents and children, all throughout that family dynamic. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I want to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And I just, I just want to challenge you to allow Jesus to make some adjustments in your home life today. Allow Jesus to step into not only your heart, but into your home life and begin to change things for the better. So dads, let me, let me encourage you to show encouragement rather than anger. Children, trust and obey rather than question and complain. Wives, honor rather than control or belittle. Husbands, treat your wife like a queen and not a servant. And, and if you think it's, it's too late, you know, our family's too dysfunctional or too far gone, well, folks, the goal isn't perfection. The goal is improvement a little bit every day. You know, it, you know it's been said that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And the second best time is today. So to say Jesus is supreme in our life means that he reigns in every room of our homes, from the garage to the living room. See, Jesus redefines family life. He re restructures family so that they fall under his lordship. And he does that through a relationship that he calls all of us into today. So I pray that we can begin this process by surrendering to his lordship and entering into that relationship today. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for a scripture that challenges us, challenges us to, to how we go about our home life, how we go about our marriages, how we go about our parenting, how we treat one another in the home. And Lord, through you living in us, this is possible. 
through your lordship in our life, we can honor one another as Scripture calls us to. So, Father, empower us, enable us to do so through your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name today. Amen.